Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness, and we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay, and we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Hey, Pastor. Hey there, Dr. Robin. How are you? Well, on the one hand, I'm very excited today because I got my second Moderna shot for the COVID. Samesies. Yeah. Um, Except I'm Team Pfizer, but it's okay. We coexist in a really lovely way. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very excited about that. Yes. Yeah. I've had a little bit of side effects that have been strange, but nothing that I can't live with. Right. Um, it. I'm also. I've also been reading the Twitter feed of the faces lost to COVID. Mm. Um. Because getting you know getting access to the vaccine has also brought me into a deeper awareness of the loss that we've encountered. Right. And we've not yet like dealt with that as a culture yeah. right uh, i'm not sure yeah. what that plan is um or where the tickets are to that show you know um <laughs> so i've been um i've been reading that twitter feed and just kind of sitting they they post a picture and a little bit about the person and i've just been sitting with a face every day and mm. um it's a beautiful practice well, you know, I got really panicked in December about, um, contr- well, the entire year, but specifically in the winter about contracting COVID and then dying from it. And it just, all of this has sort of brought me into a deeper awareness of my own mortality. And, you know, we, we're not promised another day and we live in such a violent world and um, everybody we know we're all trying to create a different world that we can exist in, you know, so we're all, mm-hmm. we're all, at th- we're all um, potentially a threat, you know, to, to mm-hmm. the system. So I don't know. It's just um, for some reason, getting the vaccine has just brought me into a deeper awareness of mm-hmm. the fragility and the precarity of life. Yeah. Well, today is also International Trans Day of Visibility. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Ken, I see you. Thank you. <laughs> but it's also Cesar Chavez Day. The, it is. The farm worker who partnered with Dolores Huerta in the farm worker movement, the Chicano, Chicano movement. Um, and how great to have a labor activist fighting for the rights of farm workers and other people. So great. And also celebrating um, trans people internationally. Yes. That should be every day. Yes. 
Yeah. I mean, this is the kind of intersectionality that we should be pointing to. Um, this is the kind of community and, and, and experiential solidarity that, that we, we envision the world Mm -hmm. that we want to live in to be about. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, uh, I am, I, I, I am very mindful of, um, how lucky I am uh, that your existence is a part of my existence. Mm. And I don't take that for granted. Um, and I also, you know, am, am thrilled that, that, uh, you know, that we have such uh, ancestors as Hugo Chavez to, you know, to help show us um, a better and different way. Yeah. We, we, we both are kind of into that Ubuntu stuff. Yes, we are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah. So this week is another another conversation um, with our Asian American community, and I feel very yes. excited about it. Yeah, we're really we're really grateful that we are going to welcome into the conversation in a few minutes, um, Jackie Shao. Uh, Jackie hails from Queens, New York, and uh, spends. Her days there as a life coach that that works with uh, creative entrepreneurs, which in and of itself like gives me all the warm feels inside. Well, I think I need one um, of those. I I mean I I feel like if I were to identify myself, like one of the bullet points would be I am a creative entrepreneur. So it actually makes me really giddy inside that we're going to get to talk to someone who does that work um, in real time. Um, but we are talking with uh, Jackie also because um, when COVID, when the pandemic uh, started to shine a light on the way that AAPI, um, that community was being harmed and minimized and, and uh, having real significant visible signs of, of racist activity um, put towards it. Um, Jackie started a gathering in New York that um, brings together folks from her community to um, engage in conversations around it. And so um, in addition to Jackie kind of occupying that space of coach in, in an entrepreneurial and, and creative centric environment, um, we want to honor the work that Jackie's doing alongside her kin and her siblings um, in this time where Asian Americans are are being minimized and and terrorized. And so, friends, it is with pleasure that we welcome Jackie Shao to the Activist Theology Podcast. Jackie, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's so good to see you again and and have a a larger conversation. It's uh, really exciting and thrilling. I agree. Yeah. So I gave a very minimal uh, and brief explanation of the work that you do in the world, how you spend your days in in New York City. I'd love it if you could. Tell a little bit more about your story. Um, tell our listeners a little bit more about how you find yourself in the space that you occupy today um, and, and what that journey has been like for you. Mm. 
My story. Um, I would say my story probably starts way back, probably even in college, because that's really when I chose my major. Um, I was a graphic designer for about 10 years plus. And during that time, you know, I chose it because I thought to myself, I really want to change the world for the better. And how can I do that? And I thought to myself, well, I knew I was an artist and I wanted to use um, my visual capabilities to communicate something to the world. And graphic design seemed to be the thing. Um, so I worked in it for quite some time, worked with like about 50 to 60 plus brands um, in all different industries, really looking for how I can change people's behaviors and, and influence people in a way that's um, going to make things more positive for all of us. And essentially, um, after some time, I realized that it probably wasn't the only place where I could make a difference. Um, and I ended up burning out from working as a graphic designer, unfortunately. Um, I took a, I ended up taking like a year sabbatical to really think through what I wanted to do with myself during that time. And I was reading a lot and I was like traveling and, you know, I learned how to do yoga and it was absolutely wonderful. Um, and during that time period, um, I remember one day just looking over at my teacup because every time I read, I would always drink tea and looking over at it, I was like, hmm, I don't know much about this beverage that I enjoy so much. Um, why does it be bring me such peace? Why does it bring me such joy? Um, so I went to like all 10 tea houses in New York City. Um, and I ended up actually apprenticing at one of them um, and learning much more about tea. And what was really interesting during that time, because I was going through my whole own life transition, people would come and sit for tea um, and we would geek out about tea all day, every day. But the conversation always took a turn towards like life about like what people were doing in their lives and what they wanted in their lives um, and also their own transitions in their lives. And so it became like a, almost like a seedling that was planted in the back of my head about how I wanted to bring communities together to have conversations about life um, in this way. And that seedling started to grow. I started to water it more and more, um, build upon it and I ended up going into um, co-working spaces and um, gathering mostly creatives and entrepreneurs. Um, and we would come together and talk about life. I would pick a different life topic every single time and we would explore it. Some were very, very light about like how to take better breaks in your day. And some were getting more towards heavier topics like death and, um, you know, parenthood even and other things that we have to deal with in our lives, right? Um, and as I was going through that, I started to design a little bit again, but it was still kind of on the side. Um, and I realized I needed something more. And I was meeting a lot of different people at that time. And eventually I met someone who was a life coach. And I always thought that that was very interesting. And I wanted to know more about it. Um, had one conversation with this person, was invited to, to uh, watch this training for life coaches and realized that that was what I wanted to go through myself. Um, and so 
I went through life coach school, as you may. <laughs> and um, about two months in, I decided that this was how I was going to make a difference. Um, because everything I felt that I needed to do in my life was right there in front of me. Like I felt like I was actually creating some change in other people's lives um, just by having a conversation with them and by having some tools to be able to like really support them through to what they really wanted. And that still to this day is amazing for me. Um, that feeling of like, wow, I'm really there supporting this person to what they want. Um, because life can look any way that you want it to. And so I'm doing this work right now. I'm mostly working with creatives, um, mostly impact-driven creatives and uh, creative entrepreneurs. And of course, you know, with COVID, a lot of things, the world has changed. Um, but even before that, I would say that like, I'm someone who has always kind of grappled with my race. Um, it's something I've always never wanted to pay too much attention to. And so it was very hard for me throughout the years as I, I, as I was noticing um, certain things that like, oh, I am Asian, you know, um, I'm someone who doesn't really like being put in a box. I don't know if anyone actually does like being put in a box or labeled. Um, and so it really bothered me that people would perceive me as so-and-so just based on how I, I look. Um, and as we all know, during early spring, summer of last year, the Black Lives Matter movement really took, took over all of our lives, right? Um, and it was amazing to me in many, many ways because I was also feeling this pain and, and trauma um, for the Black community um, and feeling kind of helpless. Like, what can I do as someone who is not Black right now? Um, for this community. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, I've never really delved into like what it is to be Asian American and maybe I can just start there. Because um, I was really noticing that the conversations would, were either about like white or black or people were either activists or they weren't. And there wasn't much in between, I guess. Um, and I thought it would be really interesting to build something in between like maybe the first few steps for people um, so that they can choose whether they want to continue on and be activists in this work or choose what they wanted to do with it. Um, I do believe that a lot of times for people to help others, they have to like be able to feel like they can fully express themselves. And I found that in the Asian American community, since I am Asian American myself, I realized that a lot of my friends and family, you know, I grow up around like people not speaking out or like um, people avoiding conflict. Um, and then there are stereotypes about that too <laughs> for the community that um, I've always wanted to shatter because I, I do believe that all of us have like amazing stories to tell. Um, it's just whether or not those stories are at the forefront or not. Um, so started to gather Asian Americans under what I call being Asian American, uh, a monthly event where Asian Americans come together and we just talk about race. And we talk about like what it actually means, that term Asian American, because even that term in itself can be, um, has a lot of different connotations to it. Um, 
a lot of people don't understand the, the history behind it. And also, you know, Asian American, like we're talking about countries from India to right. China to Japan to, you know, Thailand and Philippines and everything. It's like so many different cultures, so many different countries. Um, and we're all like lumped into one under one name. So it's really fascinating. So this is a space that people can come and we can just really talk about these nuances, um, both in our similarities and understanding from that similarity, but also from, from what's different about us and, and celebrate those differences and the individual in each of us. You know, I, as you're talking about, um, this term Asian American, it, you know, I, I think about it too, for the black community who Mm. are subject to this category of African-American and, you know, um, my family, my mother's family, at least are from Mexico. And like a lot of people who have arrived in this country, it's due to some type of migration, um, whether by choice or some sort of forced migration. And, and then, and then folks get lumped into a category that is disconnected from memory and land and food and people. And, and then like a whole culture is created around this term or this category with, with like no connection point, you know? And, and so I, th- I, I think a lot about this, um, because, you know, at least for some Latinos and Latinas and Latinx people who are from Mexico, they are called Mexican American. But we don't we don't refer to like people from Bolivia as Bolivia American. I mean, maybe some do, but as a culture, and and I actually wonder if we say things like Asian American or African American or Italian American or Irish American, if we do that, because they're, the proximity to this specific land requires that sort of modification um, from a continent perspective. I don't know. Um, why, why do we use a phrase like Mexican-American? You know, Mexico is, is well, used to be larger before the United States colonized it, right? But is there some reason why we why we say Mexican American for people from Mexico, but people who are from further away, um, they just get lumped into a continent, you know, and mm-hmm. and what even you know that is even a sort of other otherization and a depersonalization and a decontextualization, right of of land and people. And I, you know, I've often wondered about this and um, I mean, as you say, labels fail so many people and this is a perfect example of that. Yeah. I sometimes think about like African-American, that term, you know, what about Africans who have just arrived versus the ones who have brought been brought here from, you know, slavery for, um, 
like that's very very different um i know i don't know anyone in the asian american community who like if they were to say oh what um where where is your ancestry from like most people would probably be more specific like i would probably say something like i'm chinese taiwanese american versus i'm asian american mm-hmm. um because asian american it doesn't really say much about like where is it that like my family comes from um but i do think that is really interesting how we need these few categories to be able to categorize people right um versus being more specific well and i think it's it's as it's as uh much a um form of supremacy comfort for mm-hmm. white folks uh, as it is anything I mean it, the the easier it is for us to using your term Jackie put put folks in a box mm-hmm. the the easier it is for us to then other them not just from a a cultural standpoint, but also from a, um, you know, from all of the other standpoints that are required in order for um, a white Eurocentric um, understanding to remain supreme. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there, I mean, there's so much packed in that and there's so much baggage and so many layers, you know, in engaged in, in the, the term Asian American, or just even the simply the the description Asian American Pacific Islander, mm-hmm. to extend it slightly further, it is still um, a, a, a bucket of convenience mm-hmm. for a lot of white folks, and and how detrimental that continues to be in in all aspects. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, I don't even know how I really feel about it because sometimes I'm like, yes, if you, we have to talk about a certain, you know, segment of our population, how do we really talk about people? And at the same time, you know, when it comes to white Americans, we never say like Caucasian American, I don't know, <laughs> where, whatever it may be. It's just American. Um, and where is that? when can that be lended to everybody else who doesn't fit like exactly white <laughs> exactly yeah i'm not meeting people at parties saying you know i'm i'm a uh, british german american right um are you um oh oh you're you're french uh, canadian american that's amazing <laughs> i mean yeah like that's not that's just not what we're doing we are we yeah. are not we are not forcing ourselves to have that conversation because because there is a belief that the monolith of whiteness is is as encompassing as all of these other monoliths that we have tried to define and and neither are accurate um and uh all of the ones other than whiteness are harmful and so mm-hmm. it's um yeah it's it's an interesting it's an interesting um kind of conversation tangent for me um, I'm curious to know a little bit more about the being Asian American gatherings that you are um, that you've that you've curated. I'd love to know uh, not just um, 
I'd love to know a little bit more about why you felt the need to originate the the gathering and and also how you are finding the conversations um, expanding or contracting based on where we found ourselves over the last 14 months as it relates to the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. Um, originally for me, I think it really was about hearing people's voices. I know of so many people who have never spoken about their own race. Um, they live it, <laughs> even if begrudgingly, but um, they haven't actually said anything about it. And I thought perhaps I can create a container, a safe container for this to happen um, where people can come in and they can come and say actually the wrong thing if they have to. Because sometimes we have to say the wrong thing to actually get to the right thing, if I was to categorize it. right? Um, and so my hope was that everyone would feel um, comfortable. I mean, it's an uncomfortable conversation already. Um, and I think part of it was too that I think most Asian Americans are in spaces where it's still largely white people, you know, where we work, where um, some, some of our communities. Um, and so when something happens, um, that's race related, the next day you go to work, you're still surrounded by all of your white colleagues right. who don't really know how to have that conversation with you. Um, so I did want to provide a space um, where it was a little bit more comfortable to start talking about it. Um, because honestly, I've, I've had this experience myself where, you know, I want to talk about race. I want to let people know how hurt, how much hurt and pain I'm feeling. And at the same time, I feel myself shaking and I feel myself scared um, for what other people are going to say to me. Because, you know, to no fault of anyone's, right, um, not everyone has the same experience. And if you're coming from a different culture, you may not experience the same things. And especially for a white person who has privilege that they may not see, um, it's hard to relate. Um, and I think a lot of, when I think about a lot of my friends, even, and colleagues and people I come in contact with, um, the first thing that happens is a white person will want to relate. And in some ways that's kind of harmful and painful too. Um, because it's again, not letting my voice shine or my voice come through, um, where I feel like I'm not really being heard. Um, so to to counteract that in some ways, I thought it would be a good idea to bring together Asian Americans, since I am as well, and um, have us just say things into the room and see what comes out of it, because there's already a baseline understanding for the most part. Um, and then the second part of your question about how it's like changed, perhaps, I've noticed that um, for some people, it, it takes a while. So I send out these emails every month, you know, um, not pushing anyone to come if they, they're not ready. And some people will come in their own time and will be willing to join in, I'm sure, in their own time. And for other people, I, I feel that like people are educating themselves more, myself included. 
like as we're having more conversations, not even just within being Asian American, but just as a whole within maybe your company has some DEI initiatives or, you know, you're hearing things from other places um, and there's more and more activists um, putting out programs and, and, you know, rallies for you to go to, then um, you start to become more educated in the space, right? Um, and so I find that the conversations kind of fluctuate between like people just really wanting to talk about their own experiences, like what has happened to me today and what am I angry about? What am I sad about that sort of thing to like intellectualizing race in some ways. So it's pretty fascinating to watch, um, how someone comes in and what they're willing to put into the space. I'm always curious about how, um, what is the intersection of things like culture and spirituality or religion when we are having these conversations about race? And, and I'm just curious for, for the folks in your community and in your own work, um, do you bring some of those ancestral practices into the work? Mm. Um, I know, I know I'm asking because so much of my mother's family has assimilated into the dominant culture, uh, for survival means. And, you know, as we think about, composting supremacy culture and trying to create conditions for healing, you know, I think we also need to think and talk about ancestral healing, not just sort of self-healing or interpersonal healing. So I'm just sort of curious about, about that for y'all. Hmm. Well, I can't speak for everyone. Sure. Um, and I have noticed a few things, but I, I know for myself, that's something that I'm tackling right now, um, how to be more interested in my roots and bring some more of that into the work that I do as a life coach, mm -hmm. you know, um, even when I'm designing, like, um, wh what is that? Like, how do I bring all of me into that? Um, and it's, it's hard, you know, because like you said, for many of us, we've assimilated, right. To just get by or to, to fight our ways to the top of whatever we think we can fight our ways um, to the top of. And so there has been some erasure for sure. And I think I'm, Personally, I'm at the um, crossroads or I'm at the start of like really starting to reclaim some of that, mm -hmm. starting to bring my cultural roots back, um, bring in, trying to understand uh, my family and how that could like enrich my practices in many ways. Um, this is more of a personal thing versus although it, it, you know all of life is related um so a lot of my business has been f very much impacted because um i had covid back in april of last year 
and I'm still suffering from post-COVID symptoms. Um, and I realized that like doctors only know so much and, you know, there's only so much I can do within that field. So I've actually started to look at other things. Um, and some of it is more spiritual practices and other things like uh, even taking like Chinese herbs, like that's not something that I would have done probably in the past, but, um, you know, looking at that, looking at acupuncture, which is part of my culture, you know, um, and bringing that in to just fully heal myself. Um, I, I think it's a, a really interesting thing to be looking at right now, actually. As you have, um, as, as, so as we've progressed over this, these last, this last year or so, um, we as a culture are beginning to see, are finally beginning to see our media outlets step up and name uh, racism as it relates to Asian folks uh, in our, in our country. We're starting to see um, organizations and, and businesses and corporations identify with an understanding of difference amongst between between cultural groups between that 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 BIPOC people are not a are not a, 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 a unit of 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 conversation but that there are intricacies and 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 really important delineations throughout um, the ways that we name groups and really, especially over the last month, you know, we, we are beginning to see and, and hear folks name the violence that Asian Americans have been suffering at the hands of, um, those of, those of us who, um, do not, do not care for, for one another in, in deep ways, how has this, how has the, the, this light, this light that has been maybe it, it's always been a light that's been on perhaps maybe it isn't. I, I'd be curious about your, your perspective on it. How has the amplification of this message and this understanding around um, the violence and the racism and the terrorism that, AAPI people are suffering with and from um, what what kind of what kind of reactions does that does that elicit from you? Is there is there a relief, um, a sense of like finally? <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Is is there a, is there um, a, a frustration in the time that it's taken and, and, and irritation around the lack of breath that the conversation has, how, how has what we've seen erupting and arising over the last few weeks um, kind of settled in your, in your bones and in your spirit? I think it's everything that you just said. Plus, um, you know, for sure there's uh 
I don't know if relief is the word, but like there's some, finally, there's some acknowledgement of um, our experience. Um, and at the same time, for me personally, and I think for a lot of people, because I'm, I'm getting a lot of texts from my friends and, and you know, people in my community, um, there's a lot of pain and fear. Um, one of the things for me personally, I know that I refuse to watch any more videos of people hurting people. Like, I just, I can't take that anymore. Um, I may still read about it <laughs> um, just to be up to date and feel the pain and then cry afterwards. But um, I absolutely refuse to watch those videos because it does no good. Um, I also think that it brings up this, um, especially the shootings, you know, Atlanta, it really brings up like, safety for both yes asian americans but asian women women um like i don't know about everyone else um but when i walk at home at night you know this is pre-covid times um i have my keys in my knuckles at night um now i have my keys in my knuckles i have pepper spray right. one hand my other hand on pepper spray, I have a personal alarm and I have a little switchblade. Um, and I've gone through many different scenarios in my head about how to defend myself if the time comes. Um, and it's just, the word is ridiculous, the extent that like I and other people have to go through. Um, I was talking to a couple of other Asian women and we were talking about how when we go out now, we have to wear hats and sunglasses as if that could hide our, <laughs> as if that will hide our identity in any way. Um, but we're doing everything that we can to like protect ourselves. Um, and I'm sure many people are afraid to even leave their houses at this point. Um, so it's a scary, it's a scary time for many people. Um, I can't speak for every single person because even amongst the Asian American community, there's a lot of different reactions that I'm sensing. Um, you know, a lot of people are fearful, but there are some people who are also dis disassociating themselves completely um, as coping mechanisms, for example. Um, and for sure, I'm sure a lot of people are seeking therapists at this time too, because it's a lot to cope with. Um, and I think especially for the Asian American community, because this violence and hatred has, and racism has been hidden or like not in like mass media for such a long time that it's also a shock to the system that finally things are coming out. Um, and it actually adds to the pain and trauma in some ways too. Um, so there's many, many reactions from myself. So I can imagine for many other people, there, 
they're having a lot of different reactions to. Sure. Sure. I am, I am so grateful that you have gifted us with this time that you've been able to um, help uh, our listeners understand a little bit about the ways that you have gathered community together. And um, we talk a lot on, on our podcast about um, how we are with one another, how we are to reimagine this understanding of community and, and, and how we can reimagine what the world might look like if we were to really design and, and, and be a part of communities that looked the ways that this community that you have described looks. And so I'm, I'm grateful that you've gifted us with the, the stories around um, the gatherings. And I know that the way that you have um, kind of um, turned the both your curiosity, your newfound curiosity, perhaps around kind of who you are and the ancestral space that that has led you here um, into both your design work and into this space of healing for others. I, I have to imagine that it is um, that it is exactly what many in the world that you are a part of need right now. And so I just want to say thank you and to kind of honor you in that and, and to acknowledge that, that work that you're doing. Thank you. You're welcome. I'd love for you to share a little bit about how folks can be in touch with you, how um, people can follow you, how they can engage with you um, offline. Um, we will share all of these links also in the show notes, but I'd love for you to, to give folks a little bit of an idea of how they can keep in touch. Sure. Um, the very first way I have a personal website with everything I do, everything I've ever done on it. Um, it's JackieShow.com. And um, I can also be found um, at my Instagram. Um, that's probably a good way to keep in touch with me, um, which is at underscore JackieShow underscore. Um, for being Asian American events, I just started an Instagram for it and it would be at being AAPI. Um, and if you're interested in being part of the email list that gets sent out every time I have an event, um, you can email me at, um, Jacqueline.shell at gmail.com. And that's J-C-Q-U-E-L-I-N-E. Okay. And are your gatherings all online at this point? So are the being Asian American gatherings open to folks outside of New York? Yes, okay. actually, I've had uh, a lot of people uh, participate West Coast um, in, you know, the middle of America, also from Canada, from from nice. Paris, even oh, wow. so, so um, because it's online, it's very easy for people to hop on um, as soon as they see it. And I welcome all. I want to let our friend of the podcast and a friend of the project, Denise Segura, I want her to know about being AAPI or being Asian American, that gathering, uh, the Instagram. And so I'm going to let our friend Denise know about your gathering. Yeah, for sure. Because she's always looking for community and um, yeah, I, I feel really grateful that, 
you know, Anna, you said it, um, the sort of being with, the withness, and yeah. it's something we take very seriously. Um, and again, uh, another reminder uh, that I think is ancestral wisdom that that many in the dominant culture have um, don't have access to, but this this sense of we are with one another, and when we enact violence on or against one another, we separate out that withness and we can no longer hold the withness. And so you've reminded us of our call as humans to be with one another. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and yes, I, you know, part of the, I, I see the space not just being about like, um, it's really about celebrating, celebrating our voices and our individual stories over anything else. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm working on a couple of things for it right now to, to really um, showcase different members and different people in the community um, to really show like the humanness mm -hmm. of each person um, and the amazing things that they do and just the amazing people that they are. Um, and I really hope to, you know, do more gatherings, have more people join in, um, come in as you are and let's see what happens. Uh, like I'm really looking forward to seeing all of us like rise together mm -hmm. and, and, you know, celebrating ourselves so that we can also celebrate other people and yeah. uplift others. Yeah. So great. So great. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for being with us. We are grateful for the time and the labor and the energy that you brought to this episode. Um, friends, as you know, we encourage you to follow us at Activist Theology. Don't forget that Activist and Theology share a tea. And we will be back next week with another um, important episode around being in solidarity with our Asian siblings. Um, we're glad that you joined us this week for Jackie Shao and her story. And we will see you again next week when we'll get our hands dirty in, in lots of other really important ways. Dr. Robin, until then. Let's get free. Are you looking to connect the dots between what you think and how you live? Are you looking for a more robust way to be in solidarity with the movement? Are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social justice? Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week as they share, reflect, and analyze on pressing social concerns. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.kindful.com and click on podcast. And remember, activist and theology share a T. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by our friends Delta Ray. Our sound editor and engineer is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. <laughs>